Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And we are going to look in a moment to yet further into the heart of that father of Luke chapter 15, and also into the darkened, terrible mind of that elder brother. But before I do, let me remind you, and I want to do this because it is so urgent that you sign up as soon as possible for our retreat in San Antonio, in Texas. We are having the retreat the first weekend of December, and we are receiving bookings and I don't want you to be disappointed. It is going to be one of the most wonderful weekends of this year anyway, when a whole room full of people all on the same page of the love of God, worship God, visit, fellowship, share, encourage one another at tables, and then we teach the Word of God, which is more than a conqueror. And so many believers have never yet been a conqueror, let alone more than a conqueror. And we shall take the hours of Friday night and Saturday through Sunday morning to bring you to this glorious life in Christ, more than a conqueror. Anyway, that's just uh, go to our website or call our office and make your booking today. Okay, we have been in the last weeks looking at Luke chapter 15 at the fellow that few people look at. We think of the parable of the prodigal son and we know that this unhappy fellow turns up at the end. Well, we have spent a number of weeks getting inside the heart and mind of this chap and seeing the amazing, and I underscore that, the amazing words that Jesus has the Father tell this angry, resentful young man. And remember, this is a story that Jesus is telling. He's the storyteller. He invents the characters. He puts the words in their mouth. And therefore, when he puts the words in their mouth, he is telling us more than just a story on the surface. And what I'm doing with these words that are in the mouth of the Father, I want you to hear those words as the Pharisees did uh, the first time this was spoken. Those religious persons who had memorized the Old Testament, therefore they're going to hear echoes of the Old Testament truth in the words that Jesus says here. But also, Luke wrote this as a record of what Jesus said, and he wrote it for the first believers in the early church. And what did they hear who were fresh to the coming of the Holy Spirit and all that he taught them? And so, We're looking at the story, but we're looking beyond it to maybe other levels, shall I say, of how it was first heard and how those first believers heard it. Okay, and so verse 29, just to bring us up to date, here's this angry young man. He answered and said to his father, although notice he doesn't have the, what, uh, that, that, respect of son. He doesn't even call him father. He just says, look, for so many years I've been serving you. And we've seen that the actual words there in the original language, all these years I've slaved for you. 
I've never neglected a command of yours, yet you've never given me even a kid, a young goat, that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, My child, oops, we've lost it for a minute. Yeah, where, come on. Luke chapter 15, yeah, he said, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. And in the last couple of weeks, we saw that that he called him my child. We saw that he says, you've always been with me, but now, and I find this, um, I mean, this is enough to keep you awake at night. All that is mine is yours. So here's this elder brother, and he's speaking from this slave mentality. He sees himself, and I mean really sees himself, as a slave. He, he sums up the years of life with his father as all these years I've slaved for you. It's a victim that, that is speaking. I did all this for you. I, I kept all your commands. And now you didn't even give me a young goat. And this other kid that's come home, you've given him a fatted calf and so on. There's a deep resentment here, bordering on hatred of his younger brother. And he's angry at his father. Angry because he is saying, if you read that a few more times, you'll hear him saying, well, what more do I have to be? What more do I have to do? Will there ever be a day when I do enough? to earn acceptance, to earn respect, to, to earn just a little bonus from you, you tight-fisted. See, that, that's, that's what, what, what do I have to do to earn your acceptance? What do I have to do to earn the sort of celebration you're giving to my younger brother? And as we have seen, It it was the greatest insult. We have no parallel in our Western world. Some of you listening out there in the Middle East or um, other parts will understand it. But the, the greatest insult that this son could give to his father was to refuse to come in and take his place alongside his father as the co-host of of the feast. It was a public spit in his father's face. Terrible. And and in normal circumstances, he would be arrested. Yes, I, I arrested by the servants of the father, placed in some... A place with lock and key and and to wait for the punishment his father would give. And so instead of servants coming out to arrest in front of all the watching guests, the father comes out. That in itself was a tremendous act of humility, love. And when he does come out, He doesn't come to scream in the face of this insolent kid, scream at him and say, what do you think you're doing? He doesn't. He doesn't argue. When this boy spews out his venom at the father, the father does not argue with him, doesn't debate with him and say, now, just a minute, let's go. No doesn't argue, doesn't debate. There's no rage in the father's voice. Rather, that there's a verse in the epistles, and this is a good illustration of it, where I say this, this father came out and he spoke to the oldest son. He spoke the truth in love. I, I don't mean, you know, in some churches, though, you know those people, they come to you and say, well, you know, I, I love you, brother, I love you, sister, but um, I've just got to be straight with you, and it's only because I love you. And they begin to shred you and tell you everything that's wrong with you and 
Now that's not telling the truth in love. To tell the truth in love is to tell the truth of how God the Father sees this person. Not how you might see them, but how God the Father sees them. Now that, that's the truth and that's speaking it in love. And so the father comes and he very simply, I, I can almost hear the, the tone of his voice, which is gentle and kind. There's a tenderness. He speaks the truth and he speaks it in love. And, and so his words are like bathing this chap in, in light. To, to see himself as the Father has always seen him, to see himself in the light of the real way things are, a light that reveals who the Father is. You see, Jesus is the light. He said that's one of his um, offices, if you could say it. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows him shall not walk in darkness. They'll have the light of life. You're alive because you see the truth, the truth of who God is revealed in Jesus and the truth of who you are, for Jesus reveals to us who we are in himself, in relation to the Father. Jesus is the revealing of the blueprint of, of the, our creation, what we were created to be, and now what he has done in redeeming and bringing us, restoring us to that original image and a trillion times more. And that, that's what this father's doing. He, all those things that the older brother has poured out to his father in rage, father does not answer them. He rather simply, so succinctly speaks the truth. The truth in the energy of love. And he looks at that boy, my dear child, remember that? Ideal child, you are always with me. And then these words, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. Remember, spoken to this slave-minded boy, lost in the labyrinths of lies that, that he is a slave and must earn, must deserve everything he gets. This slave mentality that feels he's a trespasser upon another's property, that he's walking on land that doesn't belong to him, and, and he's working with uh, tools and things that are not his, and he's a slave, and he's a victim, of, and so on. And the father just cuts like, like a knife of love through all of that and says, all that I have is yours. You're no slave, you're son. And you're not only just a, a baby son, you, you are seated with me at the table as the sharing owner, co-owner. In fact, all is yours. I've given it to you. The father certainly had. That's the head of the parable where, where the younger son comes and says, I, I can't wait until you're dead. So, so give me now. Divide the inheritance. Read the will. Let's get this over with. I want my money. And, and the elder brother, who had legal right to stop that insult, uh, didn't because when the younger son gets his cut, the elder son, according to the law of that day, got double. So he got two-thirds of the property. The younger son got a third. The father, in fact, passed through death. He yielded to what that younger son was saying. You need to be dead so we can get our inheritance. And so the father acquiesced and, and passed through an inner death in order to read the will and give oh, to both sons all that he had. The two sons, both of them, not only the one we're very familiar with, but this one too, they grabbed it, took it. 
And yet at the same time, can you grasp this? They are taking the inheritance. The younger son sells off his portion of the ranch and off he goes. That's another story. But this one stayed home, which meant that he now actually owned the farm under the auspices of his father's incredible love. But that's reality, but in this world, this system of lies that control both of these fellows, he's ignorant. Now you say, how can that be? He was there when his father gave him the inheritance. But he's ignorant, blind. He says, I'm a slave. And I've got to work to earn just a crust. You're blind to what is yours. Look out, look out over the fields. It's all yours. And even though this son, as well as the other one, ignorant and blind and arrogant, and, and, and not knowing their father, not, not even seeing the love that had done what he had done, doesn't make any difference to the father. Can you, can you grasp that? Doesn't make any difference to the father. Nothing has changed in the father. He loves these boys with the same what unending love he says all that is mine is yours you you might say the very first thing that sentence tells us all that is mine well all that is mine has to begin with the very person of the father and the love that he has for these boys that that's the beginning of all that is mine all that is mine is yours. Have you ever thought of this? The Father, God the Father, owns his love for you. <laughs> ever thought about that? All that is mine, says the Father. His love belongs to him. He doesn't get it from anywhere, you see. That is his self-determined person. He is love. He is the source of love. There's no love beyond him or higher than him. He is love. And he owns it. Which means <laughs> you don't. I don't. That means I can't control his love. Religion rages at what I've just said. Because religion says when you're a bad boy... God doesn't love you anymore. Your badness controls God's love. You own his love and you determine when he can love you and when he can't. You see, that's religion. That's what most Sunday night in many churches is all about. You've blown it again. You lost his love. Now you've got to come and try and get him back in a good mood. I, I hope you see that. Father says, my love is my love. You, because you haven't seen it, because you've insulted me, because you spat in my face, doesn't make any difference. I look straight through it and say, I love you. My dear child, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Think about that. There's no if you there. It isn't all that is mine is yours if you put your shoulder to the wheel and work and do your best to prove to me that you're a son. No, there's no if you. Here it is, an unambiguous fact. All is yours. All that is mine is, is, is yours. Right at this moment, as you're fuming at me, it's because you're blind, dear son. You don't see what the truth is. It is. It's already freely given. You're standing on your own ground. You're in the midst of your own ranch. It's yours. And this father who stands in front of you, the source of all that, is your father. You are his son. And all his love is yours. His very heart, his being is yours. As well as all that is written over to you in his will, there is nothing that this father has or would want 
that he has not given to the Son. Or could I even say the Father would not want anything that he could not give to his sons? Hear me again. This story is Jesus giving to us the most shocking, scandalous revelation of the love that Father and Son and Holy Spirit have to you, to me. Did you see that? I mean, if, if ever there was a person that we would say he does not deserve this, yes, indeed, you, you haven't earned it, even though you think you might have. You haven't. You're a despicable child, and you deserve to be put on probation or something. But no, the father just moves straight to the truth and speaks it. Can I, can I put it like this? God, Holy Trinity, he, he is not the prisoner of his own deity. Do you know what I mean? When we think of God, well, and, and maybe you don't think of him like this. I think we've been around together for a long enough time. But, but there are many, many, many people out there. You'll meet them certainly on TV and, um, I mean, the, the, the persons who will refer to God as they do whatever they're doing. And they, they speak of him, you know, as up there. And, well, I mean, he's God, isn't he? You see, he, he's, he's not interested in us. He's God. And they, they like to stop their God. And, and, and they will sometimes refer God Almighty, which, of course, those expressions miss the point. See, God is not a prisoner of up there. God will not be locked up in his own godness. He is free. That's the meaning that God is love. He is free to reach out beyond his own self into his creation, his creatures, us, and interact and purpose and plan and give himself away to us. God is as free as he chooses in his incredible love to do, could I speak sloppily and say, to do what no self-respecting God would ever do. I mean, he's the one. And I mean, we've got it in religious art, and I don't know how many sermons that we grovel, we cower, we prostrate, we crawl toward the throne of God. We beat ourselves and say, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And here, Jesus gives us this picture of God that just cuts through all and says, all that I have is yours. He's free to do it. No one can stop him. He's God. He's free to love. And free to love those that all the laws of earth say that you can't love those people. But he does. This is amazing. This is what is at the heart of that expression in Scripture. The fear of the Lord. The awe. The wonder. The worship. What a God. Who is like unto you among all human concepts of God? This is the greatest surprise in all of creation. From he started the beginning, God created humankind out of the dust, dust of the earth. Now, you could, you could understand that to be the fine dust, the fine mineral particles. It doesn't make much difference. Mix it with water, you get mud. Well, what is it? it's, it's the dust of the earth. And when he'd fashioned us human out of the dust of the earth, the, the result is something terribly weak. Fragile, maybe is a better word. Fragile. You know, you just take a little pin and you stick it in this covering of our most valuable organs and it, it, it opens, the blood comes out it, I mean, that's fragile. You try that with a rhinoceros or with an elephant, maybe. And, and no, you'd need a jolly jackhammer to get through their skin. But we, he made us so fragile, so, yes, weak. 
And, and, and <laughs> you, you'd say, what significance? What, what worth does this poor, fragile creature have within this creation? And he goes on to bestow a worth upon us that is nowhere near any other creature. Our closest look-alikes in the primates, you, you need a telescope to see across the canyon to where they end and then we begin. We fragile humans made in the image and likeness of God a worth that love has set upon us. There's our worth. Don't, don't start looking inside yourself to see what you're worth. Don't go traipsing around the world to try and find yourself as if you'd lost half of your body. No, your worth is given to you in the face of this God who revealed himself in Jesus. Here's your worth that he loves you. That places you of a worth beyond any description and given you the exalted place in creation above all other creatures it's as if he he made you and then he signed you like an artist he put his signature on you sets you apart you're sacred what is this love? It's love without reason. Don't try and reason it out. Don't stand there when you hear this message that you are so loved. Don't stand and say, but why? There's no answer to that. God is the answer to that. That's the way he is. The Father loves you. The Father has spoken that love in the Son. The Father has embraced you by the Holy Spirit. And there's no why. You, you can ask that forever. Why, Lord? Why would you do that? There's no answer. The only answer is to open your arms and let yourself be loved. The only answer is, is to let your heart bow and give thanks to God. Yes, I say it again. It's the greatest surprise in creation. You'd never think God would do that. You, you'd never think he'd love that creature of dust. Think he'd make him a lot more oh, supermanish. But he loves it. But, but you see, we, we sinned. We, we're this elder brother, sometimes on steroids. We, we, we've walked away from God. We do our own thing. We'll become gods in our own right. And God, you can't control his love, you see. He wouldn't stop loving you, you see. We, we've been told, haven't we, that, that as soon as we sin, God suddenly has a mood change. Now he's out to get you. But that's not true according to the revelation that Jesus gives. He won't stop. We don't control his love by who we are. God loves us because that's the way he is. We can't control him. All we can do is yield to him. And then he placed this loved, beloved person, the Adam, placed him in Eden. And, and Eden, it says that it was specially prepared. Have you ever read that carefully? See, God created the whole planet, the whole universe, but then he prepared this place called Eden. He prepared it. And, and it would look as if um, Adam sat and watched him do it. And then it says he took the man and he placed him in this garden that he prepared. And the word Eden, it means delight. It means joy. Wow! The garden of delight. The garden of extreme joy. The garden. When the Lord had finished making everything, he said, it is very good. He must have said very, very good when he came to that one part that he specially prepared. And that word good it means, oh, how beautiful, how, how harmonious, how it all fits together. And he, and he put streams that ran through with pure crystal dancing water. And then he said, of all the trees in the garden, you may freely eat. 
Water, food in limitless abundance, all for you. Filled it with the sound of the birds, flying gorgeous butterflies and all animals. Just because he loves you. They got their purpose, but the first purpose of all creation is to delight your eyes, to excite you. He even put gold in the garden, it says. Not that Adam needed a credit card or anything. But whenever the day would arrive when one needed some sort of currency, well, I filled the garden with gold. You'll have enough and to spare. But above all, he filled the garden with his own glory presence. And that glory means the, the expression of his love and his peace and his joy and in that garden the Adam walked with the creator as his lover and his friend who was saying all that I have is yours you see that this is right there at the beginning and then after sin as I, I've already referenced after sin didn't change anything I've said that a lot, and I'm just going to leave it at that. didn't change anything. You can't change God by the way you act. After sin, God described this race of Adam as lost. And as I have pointed out before, that we, we don't say that word like Pharisees, you know. I can only report how I was raised. And um, when, when someone came in, into our church who was obviously not a Christian, all, all the most holy people would put their heads together and say, he's lost, which meant the man's damned in hell unless he gets saved. No wonder people fled our church. But um, it, it's lost? No. It's the same thing as when that child is lost and the entire neighborhood, the whole village goes combing the area to find him. The child is of such worth, so loved, so precious that you use the word lost. Still, can, can, can we receive it? The Father said, your worth, your preciousness, you are worth pursuing. His love will not give up until he shall restore you to all that was lost. And you and I, we were so totally ignorant. We didn't know that. We couldn't comprehend it. Because sin makes a fool out of your brain. But our ignorance didn't change God. We're still his beloved. And still he says, all that I have is yours. And in scripture, he follows that up with Moses, <clears throat> who, well, Abraham before Moses. Yeah, let's stay with Abraham. And, and in Abraham makes the covenant. And, and all that I have is yours, you see, I said it echoes the Old Testament. All that I have is yours is a statement that was made in the making of covenant. That the, the person entering into covenant would say to their covenant partner, all that I have is yours. That's covenant. The bringing of two persons together, bonded, unity. All that I have is yours. Total self-giving. Now, you know, I have been teaching for nearly 70 years. And, and still this almost brings me to silence. I, how can you say it? The, the Creator, the unlimited Father and Son and Holy Spirit, one God, would make covenant with humans would say to humans all that I have is yours let it sink in don't rush through this 
In the Old Testament, the one statement that crops up over and over and over again, I will be your God. You shall be my people. That's a statement of the covenant. Now, did you hear that? I will be your God. And that's the, the word of possession, is it not? Possession, your, you know. This, this is my watch and mine. Those words, your, mine, they're, they're, they're possession words. You know, as I've often said, anybody can say God. But only a person who realizes and has yielded to the covenant can say, you are my God. He's given himself. God has taken his very self, the heart of the Holy Trinity, and given himself to us. And not only that, that's not just some, you know, once in a lifetime high and mysterious thing. No, he comes into our everyday life. And so every day at the offering of the morning sacrifice in ancient Israel, the high priest or the officiating priest would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. And, and goes on through that marvelous blessing, which is, is about today. And it happened every morning, just to remind you, it's today. He blesses you. He lifts up the light of his countenance, shines upon you. He is gracious to you causes his face to shine on you Deuteronomy 28 says in this way the Lord will bless you bless you in your going out bless you in your coming in bless you in buying the groceries bless you in the kitchen when you cook them bless you on the table hey come on this is a God who has woven his love self into the very weave of your family into the weave of your job. Now, the statement of covenant by David in the Psalms, the Lord is my, you how you know, all the, my, my shield, my strength, my shepherd, my light, my salvation. And there you have it again. The, he is, the Lord is in all that I have. That is, the Lord. God in all his beauty and love all that I have the Lord is my <laughs> is my well is my he's saying yours you follow me the Lord is my so all that the Lord is has become my life well that's the same the Lord is saying all that I have is yours no, there's the, what Jesus put in the mouth of this father. That's been the way God has revealed himself since the very beginning. And of course, that love that God has, which I think is already established, is a love that does not quit giving and, and arises from the God who is and is not changed like, like the temperature and by the weather According to how we're doing, so God decides he'll love us, love us more, love us less. No, no, no. That love arises from the unchanging God. And so we're not taken by surprise when the gospel opens with the words, For God so loved the world. But now we come into the final definition of that love. For God so loved. Trying to tell us his love is like nothing you've seen on earth. God so loved the world. The whole jumbled, torn up, bleeding mass and mess of the world. He so loved that. Okay, now we're going to see what that love means. We're sort of coming to the ultimate dictionary for the ultimate definition. He so loved that. What's the that? What, what's the equivalency to this love? He so loved that he gave his only begotten son. That is, he gave his very self. 
God gave God. So you see, he didn't give us just a list of rules. Didn't give us cold doctrine about a remote God. Didn't give us a formula. Didn't tell us that we'd tried to please him or be like him or... No, he gave us his son. God gave us himself. And in giving us himself, giving us his son, he then through that son gave us the Holy Spirit. And if we had another two hours, I'd take you through the New Testament to show you that God, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within us. And the language is very, what, very simple to understand. It says, your body is the temple or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Could it be simpler? There's nothing mystical there. It says that your body, with all its organs and nerves, with the invisible part of mind and imagination and emotions, your body has become the place where the ultimate gift of God comes to dwell. So he pours out the love of God into your heart. The center of you, this body, your body becomes the dwelling. The address on earth of the Holy Spirit is your body. Christ dwelling in you. Or try another one, Ephesians in chapter 3. Would be a one where, where it says it, it's portraying to us to be filled with all the fullness of God. And fullness of God means the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> this is the truth. Jesus said, speaking of the same thing, he said when the Holy Spirit comes, we, that is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus said we, will come and make our abode, make our dwelling. We'll be at home inside of you. That's in John, I think it's chapter 16. Colossians chapter 2 says that the fullness of God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, lived bodily in Jesus. And now that you, Jesus joined himself to you, that you would be complete, that is, in the same way Father and Son and Holy Spirit would live in you. You shocked? Does this sound scandalous? I suppose that's what this sounded to the elder brother, isn't it? You see, that, that's how the lie has blinded us. That we just thought we'd get forgiven and sort of hang around until we died and then we'd go to heaven and no this is this now is notice the father here is speaking to the son in the present tense he says all that is mine is yours right at this moment there you are bustling around the kitchen listening to me aren't you over the computer and some of you're in the car and it's in your ear in a podcast Right at this moment, all that God has, his very self, he gave to you in giving Jesus. And Jesus gave to you in coming. For the Father sent him, but Jesus the Son willingly, joyfully came to give. And then God the Holy Spirit comes to reveal to us the Father, reveal to us Jesus, and to be the very presence in us of this beyond words God. Well, John chapter 1 says grace and reality came to us through Jesus Christ and came grace upon grace. That is like an ever 
increasing tide that is coming in wave upon wave upon wave and so the gifting of God in the presence of God becoming ever more real to you day by day and then it says speaking of Jesus of his fullness we have received this this is the gospel this is the Christian life that New Testament believers danced in. Real life is living in union with the Father through the Son, Jesus, who came into our humanness, shall I say, to get us. Through the Holy Spirit, who's the eye-opener. That's life. Not not going in, you know, chanting in a cave or anything funny or stupid. You, you, this is being in that union while you're cooking dinner. In that union inside Father and Son and Holy Spirit while you sit in school. While you're, you're doing your job, while you're playing basketball while you're watching TV you you you're in him and he's in you you're living in that light you see all that I have as I said the very being of God he gives himself to us but all that I have it says in Romans 8:32 he that spared not his only son He makes that sort of the marker. As I've already said, you want to know what the love of God is? It's defined in the fact that the Father gave His Son. Gave Him away to you. Incidentally, when you hear, and there's increasing amount of it on TV these days, people talk about unconditional love, and they talk about a God who... Who loves, although they slip every so often and remind you that God is the universe, whatever that means. Uh, but you see, that love they talk about has no foundation. They will never say that that love came through Jesus. They will never even reference Jesus outside of a prophet like unto Gandhi or Martin Luther King or something. No, no. <laughs> No, I don't know what they're talking about, but it's not this. This love, this unconditional love, this love that has no reason known to my mind kind of love, this love comes to us in Jesus, period. This is it. But it says, okay, he that spared not his only son. There there you have, that's what it means for God to give. But shall, with him, if if God gave us his only son, uh, well, after that, if that's the case, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Uh, Leave your beggar's patch, would you? Walk out of slave quarters. Understand, if he spared not his only son for you and for me, then how shall he not with him freely give us all things? You have entered through Jesus the new creation. Hello? In that new creation, all things are possible. He's given us all things. Did you hear that? All that is mine is yours. Therefore, as the scripture says, with God all things are possible. And we have to begin a process, and it is a process, of the renewal of our mind. Because it's our mind that was darkened. It's our mind that became a mess of ignorance and stupidity. In believing the lies, the lies, the lies about God and the lies about ourselves in relation to God, the lies about the reason we're... 
So Ephesians 1.17 gives us the prayer that the eyes of your understanding, where you figure out life, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, or a far better way of saying will be flooded with divine light, that every light in God's heaven be switched on in your brain so that you can think as God thinks and see and know what God the Father knows about you and see what God the Father knows about himself. So so your mind is renewed to expect and anticipate this day, this kind of life where all things are possible. For I'm not a slave, I'm not a wretch. I'm not groveling before God. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Today, now, domestic, office, school, factory, university, wherever you are, you, you don't leave God outside the door. You in him you live, in him you move, in him you have your being, and he lives in you, and he moves in you, and has his being in you. You are deeply wrapped up in him. And that is so. It's the way it is. It is so because God chose it to be so, because God loved you to that it be so, and sent his Son to make it so through the shedding of his blood, and the Holy Spirit to energize this in you. It all is in the mind. So walk out into your world today, whatever it holds. You are the beloved of the Father. You are. Love himself has made his home in you. Puts his feet up on the counter because he's so at home in you. He in your very will and mind is the ability to now share his love with those that cross your path today. For everything that happens today, he is your wisdom. Boy, you need it. He's your understanding where the mind of God merges with your mind and all that because you you this day the personal teacher the Holy Spirit even in the cells of your body I look at my body sometimes and remind my body that the same Holy Spirit that made Jesus alive in the day of resurrection dwells in the cells and organs of my body, dwells in my mind and emotions. He, he works at my job. He lives in my marriage, my family. All things are possible. And all things, right as I'm speaking, are working together for good. This is the way it is. Ah, all that is mine is yours. And this elder brother could hear those words and in fact had lived in that reality his life. But throughout that life, Though that real was all around him and that father was right there with him and in front of him, yet this fellow is lost inside a whole system of lies, illusions. Can you hear that? You can be in the middle of this and... There's something wrong with your inside eyesight so you don't see it as it is. It's all twisted, distorted. And you're lost inside a whole system of lies. 
So there's a feeling I'm worthless. I'm no good. That's what this elder brother was thinking. You know, I, I'm trying to earn my father's blessing. But you see, in trying to earn what you already have is total frustration, futility, which is what he was experiencing. Therefore, said the lie, you must be rejected. You're the slave that can never do enough to gain even a crust of appreciation. And so, of course, he's recognizing now that all that he had tried to do, all of his works, apparently they are quite useless in getting acceptance. Of course they are. You can't buy what love has already showered upon you. Love and acceptance is not a reward. It is bestowed by the lover upon the beloved. And in all of that confusion, his world is unraveling around him. And he feels the pain of that. Yeah, it's painful. I don't care who he is. I don't care what he's done. That man is in pain. As not only his world doesn't make sense, it's collapsing. Doesn't work. The bottom's falling out. The word I used a few weeks ago was he's in free fall and his parachute doesn't open. There's nothing to hold on to. No rule, no formula. No amount of trying and struggling will work. He's falling. No wonder he's angry. And to that, that boy, there come the words of the Father which are words... The words are actually the presence of the Father in word, sound, form. And His Father's coming and it's all grace. Son, you don't earn anything, nor can you change me by your behavior. That's my, my presence with you. This is kindness. Oh, so gentle so tender this is compassion the father is coming inside that darkness of the lie and he's speaking the light of truth his words are the warm embrace of love you cannot you cannot earn this you can't pay for this the moment you try to you, you've actually become an antagonist You're saying that God is a liar. You haven't given yourself. What do I have to do to move you toward me? When love has been moving toward you, around you, underneath you, within you since before you were born. The Holy Spirit, as I'm now speaking, the Holy Spirit is the personal Oh, so personal. Presence. Unlimited presence. It is the energy. Because this is not dead words. This is the life of God. The Holy Spirit, the personal presence. The energy of the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is that presence of light that shows the way things really are, that dismantles, unravels the lies, so that you may enter into the world of this is so, and leave forever behind you the world it will be when so. You know, when I do this, when I do that, when I do the other, it will be so. That's gone. Crucified with Christ. Forever gone. You now live in the world that by the love of God, by the grace of God, it is so. All that He has is yours. It's the love of the Father. It's the love of Jesus the Son to come 
to make that a reality in your broken life. It's, it's the love of the Holy Spirit that is now working hand-to-hand, eye-to-eye, face-to-face, cheek-to-cheek with you to that moment of free-fall. When you let go of all that, when I do this and when I do that and when this happens and when that, let it go. Free-fall. And you'll fall right into the delight and joy the grace of the God who never stops giving. Well, there it is. May the Holy Spirit open all our eyes. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing be upon you opening your eyes, assuring your heart, and bringing you by the hand into all that the Father has prepared for you in Jesus Christ. So I now bless you. This is the way it is.